Well, hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is David Smith. And I'll tell you, one of the problems with streaming online church is the fact that you really can't show movie clips like we used to. I don't know if you guys know, but probably in the last five years, we have shown maybe a handful of movie clips where the years before, it was like one every week. And the problem is that when you have any copywritten material, whether audio or video, it will typically shut down the entire stream if you play that. Now, there's ways to work around it. You can spend money on it. Obviously, if you've been around here for a while, we're not gonna spend money most likely on that. But nonetheless, I kind of miss seeing video clips, especially for this morning, because I really had a clip I wanted to show you guys. So I'm not gonna be able to do that. But in about a minute here, I'm gonna show you a picture of a movie that I think a lot of us here really admire. It's a period piece. It really explores the practicalities of prayer. And uh, I think most of us know, of course, that movie is Talladega Nights. And uh, <laughs> this scene right here, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And right before the meal, uh, the character of Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell, decides to pray a grace over the pizza and the Coke and whatever else they've got there. And as he's praying, he prays to dear Lord, baby Jesus. And he says it like a handful of times. And finally, his wife interrupts and says, will you stop praying to dear Lord, baby Jesus? He grew up and became a man. You can pray other ways to Jesus. And so the argument kind of ensues and it's pretty funny. But believe it or not, this character, Ricky Bobby, sparks a very rich theological question, which is how do we practically pray? Like, how do we do it? Do we pray to teenage Jesus, bearded Jesus, grown-up Jesus, tuxedo, t-shirt Jesus, or as they say in the movie, eight pounds, six ounce, golden fleece diaper, baby Jesus. <laughs> how do we address Jesus as we pray? Or maybe another question may be, how do we picture Jesus as we pray? Do you picture Jonathan Rumi or Jim Caviezel? Like, which one do you picture when you pray? Or like me, do you picture John St. John? You may know <laughs> from our staff team, one of our worship leaders. That's who I picture, which is really weird when I meet with him a few days later, but, and where do we pray? Do we pray in our prayer closet? Do we pray in the woods in our favorite piece of furniture? Do we pray in old English? Do we pray with soaking music behind us? Like practically, how do we do this? What's the right way? And I think I kind of found myself asking this question on a walk a few weeks ago. I'm just kind of walking around my neighborhood. I just live a few minutes that way. And as I'm walking and praying, I'm thinking to myself, uh, just about all these different stories I've heard of late. There's four of them, of these ministries I really admire where their leaders had moral failings and are no longer a part of those ministries. Now, I'm not accountable to those ministries. I'm just a fan. But nonetheless, I feel a little embarrassed like, because here's a ministry I believed in, I loved, and a leader I followed, and all of a sudden it just kind of falls apart. And so how do I pray in this moment? Do I pray for restoration? Do I pray for justice? Do I pray that nobody finds out for the sake of these ministries being able to continue without all these problems? How do I pray? Do I pray for the embarrassment to just pass away? What do I do with this level of disappointment. And I think, you know, that's probably the moment where it's hardest for me to pray, when I'm overwhelmed with disappointment. 
God, I've been praying for this thing and it just hasn't happened yet. I wonder how many of us are in that moment, like right now, this very moment, you've been praying for something and it just hasn't happened. Because when I'm in that disappointment, there is another crushing question that comes into my mind. And for me, it's heavier than even how to pray. It's why to pray. God, what's the point of praying if nothing's changed, if nothing's gonna become the way that I want it to become, why do I keep praying? And so these are two questions I want us to ask today. Not only how do we pray, but why do we pray? Because what we're gonna find in the gospels is that Jesus's answer to how do we pray is that within that answer, we're gonna find and discover the why. Because it's one thing to know how to pray, but I'm telling you what's gonna really short circuit us is we don't understand why to pray. So my hope is we cannot just ask those two questions today, but we can begin to answer them. So let me pray and we'll jump into the passage we've got for this afternoon. So Father, we love you, we thank you. We ask right now, Jesus, would you push away any motive, any agenda that I'm bringing to this talk? Would you get rid of it all? Lord, I, I pray I would become invisible and it would be your voice, your words, your presence that we would experience the most here. And so Father, any distraction that we've carried with us into this place today, just get rid of it, disintegrate it right now. We wanna be just completely and solely focused on you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, we're in our third week of our series called Be Like Jesus. And the question we're asking is, how do I learn to be like Jesus and how he lived out his relationship with God the Father? Now, that's the starting point. Now, for me, my tendency is to always start with, how can I learn to be like Jesus and how he lived out his relationship with the missing and the marginalized and God's kids? But this is the starting point. How do we learn to be like Jesus and how he lived out his relationship with God the Father. How do I keep that first commandment first as we talked a few weeks ago? The second commandment is great. Go and love others with all your heart, soul. Oh, I mixed that up there. Don't love them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Save that for God. But how do I love my neighbor as myself? So how do we keep that first commandment first. This is so important because as we enter this political season, right, comes every four years, we're going to find ourselves tugged into so many different conversations with people you agree with, people you disagree with. You're going to be pulled into countless, countless conversations. So if we're going to be like Jesus, what I want to know is how do we make the most consistent conversation in our life with God and not with everybody else? And so thankfully, Jesus answers that question through the Gospels, which not only we've been discussing here on Sunday morning, but we've been going through in our reading plan. If you're not on a reading plan yet, it's very simple. You can grab a journal right through those wooden doors. If you go to the Care Center for all the sign-up Sunday activities, I think they've got a bunch of books in there as well. Love for you to grab one. So let's go ahead and jump into Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the famous Sermon on the Mount. And it's during this sermon that Jesus teaches us how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. But before we get to that, notice that the first thing that Jesus does here is he actually teaches us how not to pray. <clears throat> Here's what it says, verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, 
this is just my opinion, but first off, I do not believe that Jesus is telling us not to pray in public. A lot of times people read this passage and they start thinking to themselves, well, I've gotta be quiet, pray to myself, and make sure no one else sees me or hears me. Let's just think about this for a moment. If this was the case, we would never again have another public baptism because we pray in those moments. And that doesn't make sense. Or imagine for a moment, you're in a crowded street corner, just minding your own business. And somebody comes up to you, tears in their eyes, and they say to you, I have a hole in my heart. And I know that Jesus is the only thing that can fill it but I don't know how to invite him in. Will you help me? Can you imagine turning to that person and saying, thank you for being open. Would you follow me for 15 minutes we get back to my house and then I can pray for you in my prayer closet? No, right there you drop what you're doing and you pray for them in that moment. Explain to them what it means to invite Jesus into their heart as their Lord and Savior. See, when it comes to the how, I think the first thing that Jesus is referring to is the heart. I think what he's saying here, listen, when you pray, your motive is to please the one true God, not to make others pleased with you. He's starting to address the heart here. He continues the lesson. Look at this, verse seven. He says, when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so I've read this passage for years, and I get so focused on the word babbling, I think to myself, okay, David, don't pray too much. Just a few words, stay quiet. And by the way, if you are praying with somebody else, like give them a little time, give them a little space, don't babble on for hours. Be mindful of that. But I don't think Jesus is saying here, I want you to focus in on this word babbling. What I think he wants you to focus on is the word pagans. That's the key. Because you know who the pagans are? The pagans are the ones whose prayers are not a worship for God's pleasure, but instead they're superstitious pleas for their own prosperity. Again, he's hitting the heart. I don't think Jesus is putting a limit on our words. I think what he's doing is putting a gauge on our heart. He says, I'm interested in reading this. I'm not worried about how many words are coming out of your mouth, but what's the motive inside your heart? In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 11, it won't be on the screen behind me. I encourage you to go home and read it. It's a quick read. Luke 11, verse five through 10. Right after Jesus has once again, in the gospel of Luke and Matthew, he teaches how to pray this Lord's Prayer. And Luke, when he's done teaching the Lord's Prayer, he tells his disciples, all right, guys, here's what I want you to do. When you pray, I want you to pray with shameless audacity. What he's saying is, I don't want you to go up into some prayer closet and just pray a few words in private. What I want you to do is run outside and I want you to go to the door of God and I want you to knock and knock and knock with your prayers and shamelessly keep asking until he answers. In other words, if your audacity is authentic, let the words flow. Just let them go. If your audacity, if it's authentic, just let the floodgates open. And to me, that's the most intimidating part. That's where I begin to panic a little bit because the idea of having that type of life 
where my prayer is not ceasing. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Like that's intimidating. Like I'll come to the prayer room. You know, we have the prayer room at noon on Tuesdays and Friday here. We have a Westchester as well at noon. And so I'll show up for this hour set and I'll have a stack of books and journals with me because to be that creative where I can keep talking to God for an hour, I can't do it. I just, my brain doesn't work that way. Some of you, you can do it, I can't. And so I need models and charts and graphs and prompts in the Bible and a journal and all these different things to help me out. Because if I'm gonna live a life where my prayer is that ongoing, that consistent, I'm gonna need some help. I'm gonna need a script, a model, something. And that's where the Lord's prayer comes in. That's the gift of this prayer that Jesus gives us. Because all throughout the gospels, what you'll notice is that nowhere else is Jesus this specific. Never anywhere else does he give us this kind of practical outline of how to do a spiritual principle. He's not like that with preaching, not with fasting, not with evangelism, nothing. When it comes to Jesus being granular, specific, descriptive, prescriptive, whatever you want to describe it, here's how you do it, it's only prayer. It's interesting, but that's really the way it should be, right? Because there's no other conversation that can compare. Like I would love to say that in the scriptures, there's all these different ideas on how to preach and here's the outline and the bullet points of how you do it. He doesn't say, but he does when it comes to prayer. Look at verse nine, Matthew six. Jesus says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now to me, what's fascinating about this is you are saying this prayer, you're reading it in the scriptures. There are six different places where you can pause, you can hit the brakes and there's a prayer handle for us to pause and start praying into. The first one is the character of God. And you'll see on the screen behind me. We pray, hallowed be your name. And so the thought here is that honored is your name, God. Your character is above all other characters. Your name is above all other name. And so when I get to that point in the Lord's prayer, I pause and I pray, Lord, would you give me your character? Would your character come into my life, into my heart and those who are around me? And so you pause right there in that part of the Lord's prayer and we pray for the character of God. And then the next handle is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Pause right there. So Lord, I just pray for a few minutes. Would you bring the kingdom deeper in my life on earth as it is in heaven? Maybe you pray that for others. The third handle is provision. Give us today our daily bread. We pause right there after the word bread. And we just kind of step back and Lord, I just, I'm praying for these things that I want, I need, I'm dreaming of right now. It's the prayer of supplication. What do you need? What do you want? What about the people in your life? We take a moment to pray for that. The fourth handle is forgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive others. And so it's a moment to pause there and ask yourself, okay, where in my life is forgiveness really needed? In my own heart? Or do I need to forgive others? Or do I know somebody that's lacking forgiveness in their life? The fifth one is guidance. Lead us not into temptation. We pause right there and we pray for the guidance of God. We say, God, I don't know if I should go left or I should go right, so I need your guidance right now. 
or I've got a friend or a family member that, member that's struggling to make a decision, Lord. I pray right now that you would bring guidance into their life. And the sixth handle, deliverance. Deliver us from the evil one. You can see there's almost a handle for every verse. And so, Lord, I pray that you would deliver me from any strongholds, any lies the enemy is trying to wrap me up with. Or maybe we pray for friends and family as well. And so what a simple prayer model. As you go through the Lord's Prayer, you just pause these six different times and you just take a moment to pray for one of these handles, character, kingdom, provision, forgiveness, guidance, deliverance. It's a quick model that I'm telling you, two to three minutes a day, you can get through it. Because the thing about prayer for some of us, me included, it's not all that natural. It's so hard to get my brain just to slow down. So I need a model and I need to practice the same way you've got to practice. I, am, I have never played golf in my life. Is this how you do it, right? Like if I was gonna to learn to play golf, I would have to practice. Do not be discouraged if prayer is not easy for you. It takes practice. One of the reasons we do it every Sunday, we're working out those muscles. But what happens if you're somebody who's like, well, David, I've been doing this for years. I know the Lord's Prayer. I know it by memory. I pray it every day. I prayed it for years. I prayed it for decades. But the things you've been praying for haven't been answered yet. Maybe that character of God you're waiting to come into your life hasn't arrived. Maybe there's forgiveness that still seems to be lacking. Or maybe the provision you're asking God for to heal your friend still hasn't manifested. And so you've been praying this prayer over and over again. You're thinking, Jesus, you're specific. You told us what to do. This should be foolproof, but your experience is the opposite. I'm a little bit like that. I started praying this thinking, okay, this is the magic equation. And so what happens when you pray the Lord's Prayer for years and the things that you desire to see in your life still have not come? God gives us this great prayer model, but at times he's still silent. Like, what do we do with that? And according to Jesus, what we do is we keep talking to God. I wanna jump about 20 chapters later. It's in Matthew 26. And there's this moment where Jesus knows, right? The arrest is coming. Judas has betrayed him. He's gonna be handed over to the authorities, beaten and crucified on a cross. And right before this all happens, they're in a garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus takes a moment to separate himself from his disciples. And as they're there, Jesus prays to God the Father. Here's what we find in Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, the cup of God's wrath that was coming for him on the cross, the wrath of God against the sin of the world. That's the cup. If possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now there's a tension here if you sit in this verse. The first tension is, okay, Jesus seems to be acknowledging the sovereignty of God's will. Now this is interesting because Jesus is also fully God. This little part of the verse reminds us of that. The theology of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, God the Father, they're all fully God, complete sovereignty and power, but they're three different beings with different roles and different functions. But then there's the next part of this verse. 
where it shows the humanity of Jesus. He's like, I'm acknowledging the will, but also God, if you can take this cup away from me, go ahead and take it. Which reminds us he's not just fully God, but he's also fully man. That doesn't mar his sovereignty or his divinity, but he's fully God, fully man. That's the role function the son plays. That's the tension. And so when it came to Jesus's request to remove the cup, God seems to be silent. God doesn't say to him in the garden, oh, you know what? Yeah, I forgot the cup was coming on its way toward you. We'll take it out of the equation. You're good to go. In fact, it seems like God says nothing. Jesus says, if you can take this cup, take it. We look at the scriptures. We're not 100% sure, but it seems like there's silence. But even though Jesus receives silence, notice that through the beatings, through the taunting, and through the crucifixion, he continues to talk to his father. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And at the moment when the cup finally comes, this cup of wrath, even with his final breath, Jesus continues to pray. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then Jesus died. God never removed the cup that Jesus requested to be removed. Talk about a stretch of silence from the garden all the way to the grave. Father, would you take this cup away? And he never did. I wonder how many of us are in a stretch of silence right now. There's something we keep asking the Father for over and over again. You're thinking, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I prayed with shameless audacity. I prayed in my prayer closet. You keep asking and asking and it just hasn't happened yet. There's just no answer. And so if you're like me at all, if I'm honest, that's when I wanna stop talking to God. Nothing's changing, why should I bother? <clears throat> and this past week, I thought about all the different prayer models people have given me. You guys probably know a handful of them. And I've prayed those models years after years after years. And some things just haven't changed. My wife and I, were gonna go visit um, my best friend's mother's about to pass away of cancer. And uh, she's up in Dayton. And so we've been talking on the phone and he said, you know what? If you guys wanna say your goodbyes, now's probably the time to come. The doctor said they can't do anything else with the cancer. Uh, this is a wonderful woman who means a lot to me. It's not like this guy's just my best friend and I don't ever talk to the parents. I love their entire family. And so pretty emotional. We're gonna go up, kind of say our goodbye. I mean, you never know what God's gonna do, but the doctors have been very clear and we can kind of see the signs. And so Emily and I head up there and the number one reason we're going is because we love this woman. That's it. But I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a second reason. And the other reason is I just wanted to be around her because the reports I keep hearing back from my good friend is that, boy, she's not losing her faith. This cup of cancer hasn't been removed like we keep asking God, but she's still talking to the Father. She's still telling the Father, here's how much I love you and I know you love me back. Of course, right when we get there, the little bit of a conversation we get to have is her talking about, yeah, you know what? This cup, doesn't use that word, this cup isn't being removed, but I still love and I'm leaning into the Father. I'm still calling on the name of Jesus. Like that's the kind of faith I wanna be around. 
I left that room lit on fire in my heart. I think it's why I love our church so much. I mean, I can, I can look at a lot of you and we've had a lot of conversations over the years and there's a lot of people in this room, your, your cup hasn't been removed yet and you've been asking and asking, you've been knocking on that door, but you're still believing. You're still leaning, you're still fighting. You believe the Lord can restore that marriage, can bring healing, can bring deliverance. I think that's what I love the most about this, about this place. There are so many of you, you're still talking to the Father, but the cup hasn't been removed. I've got my own issues, probably too many to talk about all of them right now. A lot of them are things uh, spanning from anxieties to fears to insecurities. I'll have a couple nights every now and then where I'll just feel dysregulated. You guys know, that's usually a word used for children. Maybe that's perfect for me. Some sort of conflict will happen throughout my day and I won't sleep all night. I just, I can't, I feel so dysregulated. And I said, God, that's one of those things I would love to end. And I have prayed for over a decade and I don't know if I've had necessarily that much improvement. And so the question I'm faced with every night that happens is I'm staring at the ceiling wide awake is God, do I value our relationship enough that I will continue to talk to you in the silence? Do I value the relationship enough? Jesus did. And so the gifts of prayer are both satisfaction and their silence. The satisfaction of an answered prayer, but also the silence of an unanswered prayer. A good friend of mine reached out a few weeks ago. She said, you will not believe this. I had the worst back pain the other day. I was complaining about it. My five-year-old son, 10 feet away, stretched his hand out and said, Jesus, heal mom's back. She said the pain went away in that moment. Yeah, praise God. Yep, you can applaud. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it, so it's good. So I called her up last night just to make sure. And I said, hey, is your back still feel okay? Because I'm about to share this with the entire church. And she says, I have not had pain since. She's an honest woman. And so God, you're healing backs to five-year-olds, but you're not healing cancer over here for this family? Guys, I don't get it. I don't always get it. I don't know what to do with that. But I know there is a gift in the silence of the unanswered prayer. Here's how we know it. Look at James chapter one. The brother of Jesus says in verse two to four, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, trials like unanswered prayers, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so what James is saying here is that even in the unanswered prayer, there's maturity, there's completeness, there's an understanding that with Jesus, I lack absolutely nothing. And so Jesus got silence when he asked God the Father to remove this cup. But in that silence, so much good happened. The defeat of death, the offer of salvation, that we can receive the moment we say yes to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you have never said yes and received that gift, we're gonna have prayer teams down here. They would love to talk to you more. They'd love to pray for you. If you have never said yes, he is offering the gift of salvation, heaven on earth now and in eternity forevermore. I'm not gonna tell you that you're gonna pray a prayer and your life is perfect, but he's ready to have that relationship with you. In our trials of unanswered prayers, 
the questions I'd be asking, God, what are you defeating in this silence? What are you offering that's gonna empower me to understand that with you, I lack nothing? Jesus tells us how to pray in a mountain and then he later shows us why to pray in a garden. And so my encouragement as we close, let's be a church that prays the Lord's Prayer. Not just as a slot machine to win good gifts, but as a conversation to build a relationship with God. Because let's be like Jesus and make this the most important conversation in our life. It's the only conversation that will never, ever stop. And so here's how I want us to close. Um, I invite the worship team up and I want us to practice praying through the Lord's Prayer right now. I want you to lead today having an idea of, okay, this is how I can do this. And so what I want you to do is just for a few minutes, just a few minutes, close your eyes, maybe get comfortable in your chair if that's leaning back, leaning forward, whatever you need to do. And the band's gonna play a little bit behind, just some instrumental music. And I want us to take just about 30 seconds to practice praying for each of these prayer handles. And you can pray through them however you want. You can pray for them for yourself, for somebody else. But let me just start us off. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so let's just pray to ourselves right now for the character of God to come into our life. God, your character is honored. It is good. It is above all. And so just take a few seconds to pray for the character of God to come into your life or the life of someone else. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take a moment to pray for the kingdom of God and asking him to bring that deeper into our lives and the lives of others around us. Is there a specific name that pops into your mind? A specific situation? Go ahead and pray for those. Your kingdom come, Lord. <laughs> Just a microphone. Just making sure you're praying. <laughs> Give us today our daily bread. Verse 11. Let's now pray for provision. Lord, settle our hearts as we've all been startled or whatever it may be for you. Provision, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? What is it that you dream for yourself and for others?
verse 12 and forget us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's take a few moments to pray for God's forgiveness. Where is his forgiveness needed right now in your life? Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. Let's now pray for the guidance of the Lord. Just pray, pray where guidance is needed in your life right now. And finally, deliver us from the evil one. Let's take a moment to pray for the Lord's deliverance. What is that thing in your life right now that just feels like it's a burden, it's a stronghold, it's, it's chains wrapped around your heart, your life, your relationships? Pray a moment that the Lord would deliver you from these things. This is my favorite part of the morning. This is a time for us to respond a little bit deeper. We have a chance to take communion. We remember through communion, Jesus died on the cross to not just pay for our sins, but to have a relationship with us. The crackers representing the body that was broken, the juice, the blood that was poured out. And then we're gonna have prayer teams up here. And whatever you have a prayer request for today, we would be so honored to pray for you. I think coming up and receiving prayer is not only a great way to build relationship with the Lord, obviously, but also with one another. But I get the sense today that there's some of us here that maybe we are in that moment of silence. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, there has been a thing I prayed quite a while for and the Lord still has not answered it. And that silence is getting harder and harder to go through. My prayer this morning is that we would understand we don't have to go through it on our own. We've got these prayer teams up here that they would love to pray for you, whatever it is. But if you are in that moment of silence right now, I encourage you to come down and receive encouragement today. Let's pray. So Father, we love you. We come to you now and we pray, Father, would you break off the strongholds, the things that are keeping us back from experiencing the freedom and the joy and the peace that we know you have for us. We pray for guidance. We pray for deliverance provision, forgiveness, all of it, Lord, your character, your kingdom. Let this time be a time of experiencing in such a deep way that we would leave here changed, that we would look back on this cold January morning and go, Lord, you did something there. You did something in that moment and I've never been the same. Father, let that be the testimony that rings from this place. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So as you feel led, come up, take communion, receive prayer. If the prayer teams are full, we'll try to find somebody for you. Let's worship.